You can be seated. Let's go ahead and give this group a round of applause. It was awesome worship this morning. Um, as Jeff mentioned earlier, uh, Pastor Jim and Paula are on a, on a much-deserved vacation, so um, we're excited this morning to have Rick Warren here to, uh, to uh, uh, bring the message this morning, a familiar face to some. So, um, Rick, thanks for being here, and we, we are eagerly awaiting what, what the Lord's put on your heart. Well, thank you very much. That's a little loud. Is it too close to my mouth? Well, good morning. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of 1 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 19 today. 1 Kings chapter 19. And the title of the message today is called The Hope of God in Times of Despair. The Hope of God in times of despair and what my hope today is in this message is that I hope that if right now in your life you are going through a tough time I hope that you will be able to find rest in your heart in knowing that the God we serve is a God of hope and he's a God of love and he's a God of peace and maybe right now in your life Maybe those things don't exist. Maybe you're going through a tough time where hope seems like a dream. Or maybe love seems to be something that's fleeting. Or maybe, quite honestly, there is no peace. Because we live in a world that is not peaceful. We live in a world that is sinful and wicked and out to get us. We have an enemy named Satan who wants to destroy us. But I want you to know and be encouraged that we have a Savior named Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that in this world you will have many troubles. He told us that. He warned us about that. But I love the second part of that. Because he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world, right? And so we follow a God and Savior who has overcome everything the world threw at him. And through him, we can do the same. And I believe today in this passage in 1 Kings chapter 19, it's a story of Elijah, one of the most mightiest prophets of the Old Testament. Mighty because of the way that God worked through him. Because the true hero of the Bible isn't the prophets or anybody else. The true heroes of the, the hero of the Bible is Jesus. But in this story, we're going to learn some things that Elijah went through when it comes to being in despair and I believe that through this story we can learn things to help us in our times because we need the Lord we always need the Lord but I want you to know that the Lord is always there he's always there and so to give you a little background on the prophet Elijah and what happened before we get to chapter 19 it was during a time where an evil king ruled over Israel and his name was Ahab and he had an equal evil he had equally evil wife the Queen Jezebel. And through them, they had led Israel astray by worshiping a false god named Baal. And as the Bible says, there really is no such thing as any other god, that all other gods besides our god is false and are just demons pretending to be God. And Ahab had led Israel astray. He had 450 prophets of Baal. And through their idolatry, Israel had fallen away from God. But God rose up a prophet 
because God never leaves his people alone. God never stops calling out to those whom he loves. And that's what the job of the prophets were. They were to call out to Israel to say, repent of your sin, listen to God. And so God rose up Elijah. And Elijah prayed, and through that prayer, the heavens were shut up. And it did not rain. And it didn't rain for not one year, two years, but over three years, it did not rain upon Israel. And what's interesting is, is that during that time, while Elijah had prayed to God to shut up the rain, God took care of Elijah. Because, of course, Ahab and Jezebel wanted to kill him. And so he had to flee. And what's amazing is, is that God took care of Elijah every step of the way. Elijah was hiding out, and during that time, you know what happened? God sent ravens to send meat and, and bread both in the morning and in the evening. He always had a meal. And Elijah had water because he was next to a brook. But eventually, because of the lack of rain, the brook dried up and Elijah had to move on. But God sent him to a widow who had a son. And when he meets this widow, the widow's gathering sticks because she's going to prepare one last meal because that's all she has the supplies for. She has just a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. And Elijah says, hey, will you make something for me? She says, well, this is all that I have. I was going to make this last meal. We're just going to die. That's what she said. She was, that's what was going to happen. And Elijah says, if you make a meal for me, God will take care of you. And she did. And Elijah stayed at her house. And for the whole time he was there, the oil never ran out of the jar and the flour never ran out. The whole time. God took care of them. But then while they're there, another calamity happens because her son gets sick and dies. And what happens? Elijah goes before the Lord and, and prays to the Lord on behalf of the son, and God raises the son back from the dead. Think about the miracles that Elijah has witnessed in his time of prophecy. Ravens bring him food. I've never had a bird bring me food. You know, and quite honestly, if a bird brought me food, I don't think I'd want that food, right? You know, you don't want that stuff, all right? And I've never, ever had, you know, I would love to have a bottle of endless syrup. Because every time I want waffles, guess what? My kids have dumped half of it on the plate, and it's all gone, right? But I've never seen food multiply like that. And certainly, we've never witnessed in our life someone who was dead come back to life. I've, I've done many funerals being a pastor for many years, and oh, how wonderful it would have been to see someone come back to life, wouldn't it? But we've never witnessed that. Not yet, right? Because Jesus is coming back. And when he does, everyone's raising back to life. But Elijah saw these amazing things. And finally, God calls Elijah to go and confront Ahab. And Elijah does. And Ahab brings all the prophets of Baal. And it's one prophet of God, Elijah, versus 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And Elijah says to all of Israel, he says, let's settle it right now. Who's the real God? We're going to do a contest. I'm going to make an altar to God. You're going to make an altar to Baal. The God who sends fire, that's going to be the real God. And all of Israel's like, sounds good to us. And so Elijah's like, Prophets of Baal, you guys go first, right? And so they make this, they make this, this, uh, this uh, altar, they put the sacrifice on it, 
And they called down for Baal to give him fire. And as the Bible says, no one responded. And it gets about noon, and Elijah starts making fun of him, saying, just be louder. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's asleep. You need to wake him up. And the prophets of Baal are cutting themselves and bleeding and just going crazy, and no one ever responds till evening. And so Elijah orders them. He says, bring a bunch of water to my altar. And he dug a trench around the altar. And he said, pour the water. And by the way, water is a precious commodity, right? We've had three years of drought. And they dump water on the altar. Not enough, dump more water on the altar. Not enough, dump more water on the altar. And it overflows the altar and fills the trench. And in, a, in about a three or four sentence prayer, Elijah prays to God. And fire comes down out of heaven and obliterates the altar. Decimates it. And everyone in Israel says, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Elijah says, seize the prophets of Baal, kill them. And they kill every single prophet of Baal. Gone. And I want you to think of Elijah in his mindset right now. He has been hiding from Ahab for three years. He's been living off of every day just what God can bring him. Not knowing what the next day is going to be. He finally sees Israel is saying, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God, not Baal. And in his heart, he's probably thinking, now things are finally going to change. Now I don't have to hide. Now Israel is repenting. Now this mission that I've been on is coming to fruition. And then we get to chapter 19. And in verse 1, it says this. Oh, and by the way, let me say this too. Then the rain comes back. Elijah prays, and it starts to rain. And it rains so hard that they, have to, that they have to just rush out of there to get out of the rain. And so everything's back to normal, so he thinks. And then 19 verse 1 happens. It says this, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. Now isn't that interesting? Elijah has witnessed all these miracles of God. He witnessed this amazing victory of fire coming down out of heaven. Once again, another thing I've never seen. And all of a sudden Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah is afraid. And it says here, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, I'm not going to sit back and say, Elijah, how dare you think that way, right? Because Elijah was very upset. Elijah was very depressed. He was very frustrated. And he was tired. And the reason why is because everything now was supposed to be a certain way. And he was tired of seeing wicked win. He was tired of seeing the prophets of Baal and Ahab and, Jeze and Jezebel taking over Israel. He was tired of, of all this stuff. And he finds out, no, they've still not repented. 
the king and queen still want to take my life. And I'm tired. And I'm done. I'm done. Now, Elijah didn't give up on God or following God. But he says, I'm done, God. Once again, he says here, it's enough. Oh, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Elijah came to a point from such a great victory to what in his own heart felt like just such a defeat. And he's like, God, I just don't want to live anymore. I don't want to go through this anymore. The reason why I think this is important to understand is that Elijah saw stuff that none of us even saw when it came to the power of God. And yet Elijah was so tired of wickedness and everything going on, he just said, God, I'm just, I just don't even want to deal with this anymore. I'd just rather be with you. I'm done. And I know that in our own lives, sometimes we can feel the same way. That God, I am tired of dealing with this troublesome person. God, I am tired of being in this job that just, that just degrades me and humiliates me. God, I am tired of seriously not having enough money to even last another paycheck. If I don't have a paycheck, I'm in trouble. God, I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of taking all this medicine. I'm tired of all this stuff, God. Just take me to be with you. But I want you to understand something. That God's not done with you. And that you are God's. And if you're still here, it's because God wants you here because you have something to do for his kingdom here. And I know it's so easy to want to give up and say, God, I'm done with it. But I want you to understand as well, God's not done with you. He's still using you. And he was going to show Elijah that he was still going to use him too. But what's also important to understand is that if we come to a point of feeling like, God, I'm just overwhelmed. God, I don't know what to do. God, I need your help. That God is there. And God is going to help you. And he understands and cares for you. Look what he does for Elijah here. It says here, as he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And isn't that true? Have you guys have ever just been so like just down and demoralized? You're like, I just want to just go to sleep for five days, right? Well, that was Elijah. I'm done. I'm, I'm God, I, I'm just going to sleep. That's it. And it says here, as he lay down, verse 5, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. So right away, what do we see here? We see God understands. Elijah, I know you're going through a tough time, and I care for you. And what does God do? He sends an angel to give Elijah food to give him strength. Now, I think even on a more practical matter, how many times have you just been mad until you got a meal, right? Like, what was I so mad about? You know, the, 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 the word hangry really, is, really means something. Hungry and angry together, you know? But at the same time, God didn't say, Elijah, what do you do? What do you, why, why, why do you feel this way? Elijah, you're out of your mind. He sent an angel to take care of him. And Elijah ate and lay down again. And verse 7 says, And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. God understood that Elijah was overwhelmed. 
And God understands when we are in times of being overwhelmed as well. He does. He understands that. And look at this. And, this, and, I, and I just love things like this. I just think it's so awesome. It says, And he arose and ate and drank and, with, and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. That's some sort of food, right? Imagine eating a meal and not needing to eat for 40 more days. That's pretty awesome. And think about it in this time, right? In time of drought and famine. To be able to have a meal and be able not to have to eat again for 40 days. You know, that was one of the things that in the time of Christ, many people flocked to him about. Is that when Jesus fed the 5,000, he fed them for that day. And then the next day, they came back and he even pointed out, he says, you know, you're only here because you think I'm going to feed you again. And one of the things that he needed to point out was, is that yes, food is temporary, but I am eternal. And the food that I, that I, that I gave to you as a, as a miracle to show you my power, I'm trying to give you a food that is greater, a water that is living, a water of life, a bread of life, that he said that he was. And the thing we must understand here is, is that yes, we all have physical and emotional needs in this life. But the greatest need that we have is our spiritual need, and that is the need for Jesus. And the bottom line is, is that if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then nothing else really matters until then. And what I mean by that is, is that if a person had either a meal or they had the words of eternal life, would I want just one meal and die and never know Jesus, or would I want eternal life and live with Christ forever? It doesn't mean that you don't feed the needy or help, or help anything like that. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say, though, is, is that the deepest need that anybody needs is Jesus. And we should never deny that first. Is that when you help someone out, in any means you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Let them know, I'm doing this not just to help you temporarily, but to help you eternally, because I do this in the name of Christ. That's what's so important to understand. That's what Jesus did it. Every time Jesus did a miracle... Every time. He did it because he loved people. He did it certainly to help people. But there was a deeper message behind it. It was, believe the words that I'm saying. If I'm able to do this, I'm doing this on the power of God. And so believe the words that I'm saying because they have eternal life. That's why Jesus did miracles. That's why. He didn't do it to show off or be super cool. He did it so that he would say, believe what I'm saying. That's what matters the most. And so in the same way, Elijah has his food, and it strengthens him for 40 days and 40 nights. But what was even more important is that he had God. And interestingly enough, he goes to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, you know what's interesting is? Horeb is actually another name for Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai, what happened to Mount Sinai? That's when Moses was given the Ten Commandments. So Elijah, within the strength of this food, he flees. He runs away. That's what he's doing here. He's running away from Israel. His mind still hasn't changed yet. God has given him food. God is saying, I'm there for you. But Elijah's like, thanks for the food. I love the food. I'm running the other way. And that's what he did. He ran 40 days and 40 nights away from Israel, and he got all the way to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And so in verse 9, it says, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I think that's a very important um, thing to understand how God is saying that question. 
Because God didn't show up to Elijah and say, what are you doing here, Elijah? Are you doing some drawings? Are you playing some cards? What are you doing here, right? No. What he was saying to Elijah is, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I sent you to Israel. I sent you to prophesy to the people of Israel. I didn't send you to run away. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replies in verse 10, he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now think about that. Elijah was lonely, and I get it. Because in Elijah's point of view, in Elijah's world, there was no one else. There were no other prophets of God. Why? Because they were all killed. And Elijah's basically saying, I'm tired of this wicked kingdom. They're not listening. They're not repenting. And I'm the only one left. And I'm tired of it. He was in despair. And it says here in verse 11, and he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. So in other words, he hears the word of the Lord. Elijah replies to God, and God says, hold on a second, I'm going to come down there. That's what he says. And so when God passes by, look what happens. It says, in verse again, in verse, second part of verse 11 again, it says, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Now what's significant about this is that God is coming down. But look what precedes God as he is coming down. A wind that is so mighty that it breaks apart the rocks. And what we're seeing here is, and God isn't there yet. That's what we're seeing here. God's on his way. Here's what's coming in front of him, and he's still not here yet. So this mighty wind tears apart the rocks. Then, it says, after the wind, an earthquake. So then, so then God's coming down, and the whole earth quakes because the creation trembles at its creator, right? And God's coming down, and it says here, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. In other words, God's still not there yet. And it says here, and after the earthquake, a fire. Okay, this fire. And it just as a fire. We don't know what it looked like, whatever, but just, I mean, a blazing fire appears. And it says, but the Lord was not in the fire. So we see this wind, this earthquake, this fire, this magnificence of God's glory preceding him. And he still hasn't arrived yet. He's still not there yet. And then it says, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, why did Elijah do that? Why did he wrap his face in his cloak? Because they knew to see the face of the Lord meant you died. And he knew God was there. And how did he know that God had finally arrived? He knew God was coming from the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. He knew God was on his way. But when God finally arrived, what was it? It says a sound of a low whisper. As we traditionally have said, you know, the still, small voice, right? But why is that significant? The reason why it's significant is this. 
is that it demonstrates the totality of who God is. Is that God is the mighty creator, mighty in power. No one can defeat him. No one can take, can take him on. Everything that we have in this world is because of him, including our very existence. The molecules in our bodies stay together because God keeps them together. Colossians says, Jesus holds all things together. And yet, after all of that, the glory of God, how does God choose to communicate to Elijah? He, communi he communicates to him just in a whisper, in a small voice, talking to him. Because our almighty God cares about even us. You know, and that's what David used to ponder, right? Who is man that you would pay attention to him, right? He looks at the stars in the sky and he's like, I see all this and me? And even more so, even more so, it was a prophecy of the fact that we see all the magnificence of God. And what did Jesus do? He came out of that glory in heaven. And as Philippians said, he emptied himself, meaning that he took on human flesh. He certainly remained God because he is God and he cannot not be God. But he took on human attributes that God personally does not have. In other words, humans are not, they don't know everything, right? God does. So God set aside his omniscience to become a human. Humans can't be everywhere at once. God can. So God set aside his omnipresence to become Jesus in the flesh. He did all these things. He emptied himself of all these divine attributes except for being the fact that he still was God and he still was sinless and he became one of us. Think about that. The glory of being, of being uh, praised in heaven, the creator God, and he comes all the way down out of heaven and becomes one of us. And even more so, he became a baby, a helpless baby that needed Joseph and Mary to survive. When he was born, he wasn't feeding himself. He wasn't changing himself. He wasn't telling Joseph and Mary how to raise him right. He was learning just like us. He, was, he had moments of weakness just like us, and yet he never sinned. And he did all this and then went to death on a cross, crucified by the very people he was trying to save. But then he died, and three days later he rose again. And he is alive today, and he is in heaven today, and someday he will return out of heaven to take us to be with him. That's the hope that we have, is that in a world of wickedness, in a world of unrighteousness, in a world where things are just not fair, we must understand it's not always going to be that way. And if there are many people in the world right now who love Jesus and are having really tough times in life. We see that all the time in the Bible where Paul, he, he ended up writing 13 books of the Bible. And yet Paul got beaten all the time. He got, he got ridiculed. He got thrown in jail. He was shipwrecked. He went through so many things. And yet... He knew that that was all temporary compared to the eternal glory of God. And so, how did God choose to speak to Elijah? He didn't have to use thunderous voice or anything like that. He came down to Elijah to speak to him as, as, as a human would normally be spoken to, just with a whisper, a comfort, because God was showing Elijah that I care for you 
and I'm here to and I'm here to take care of you. And so, when, verse thirteen, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came, there came a voice to him and said, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" Notice how God doesn't change though the mission. He comes down. He says, "What are you doing here?" And I think it's so important for us to understand is that God understands everything you're going through, but he doesn't change the mission. If God has called you to do something for his kingdom in his life, the trouble's going to come. It's going to come. And we, have the, we can make a choice. Am I going to persevere and still do the mission God has called me, or am I going to run away? And if we run away, you know what God's going to say to you? What are you doing here? You're supposed to be there. And if I call you to be there, I'm going to equip you to be there, and I'm going to take care of you while you're there. And so, don't give up. Don't give up on what God is doing in your life. And so he says to Elijah once again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14 says, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, even, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall, put Jehu, shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elijah be put to death. Put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. What's, significance about, what's significant about this? It's because Elijah's saying to God, God, I'm tired, I'm done, just take me, take me to be with you. And God says to him, no, you go back because I'm not done, because when you do go back, there's going to be a new king in Israel. Ahab's going to be defeated. He's going to be killed. And that new king is going to be Jehu. And there's going to be a new prophet to succeed you. And it's going to be Elisha. And I want you to go and anoint them. Because I'm going to change things. It's going to happen. Elijah wanted to go on his timeline. God doesn't go on our timeline. It'd be nice, right? There's some different times like, God, I'd like that to happen at this time. But God's timeline is the best timeline. And God's never early, he's never late, he's always on time, and he always knows what he's doing. And the more that we can submit to God and, his, and understand that, God, you really are in control, the more that our heart gets rid of despair and is filled with hope. Because we know we can trust in him even when we don't understand. And we have to know that, that God can be trusted even when we don't understand. I've said this before as an example. I don't understand how doctors do surgery, Right? But, when we, but, when we, but if you have to go under for a life-saving surgery, do you make him sit down and tell you every way he does it, right? Now, how do you make that incision, whatever? No, you just trust that he knows how to do it. I don't understand how he does it, but we trust it. When I go to a mechanic, I don't know a lot about cars, but I trust that they know what they're doing, and I don't have to oversee them doing it. 
So we put this faith in people like that, but we can't do the same with God, right? And so in one moment, Elijah goes from being alone and thinking that he is the only one left to where God says, no, there's going to be a new king in Syria, there's going to be a new king in Israel, there's going to be a prophet that succeeds you, and there's 7,000 people in Israel that have never bowed down to prophet, never bowed down to Baal. Elijah says, I'm alone, and God said, no, you were never alone. You just didn't know yet. And it's the same with, with all of us. Is that, yeah, there are times where maybe in the very environment you are in, maybe you are the lone Christian. Maybe you are the only source of light in darkness. And I want you to know that God has placed you there in the hopes that you can spread that light. He called us to be the light of the world. He called us to be the salt of the world. And so if God has placed you there, he's going to use you there. But know this, that you're not alone. That God is there with you. And that things can happen the next day that you never would have thought would happen. I love how in the Bible you look at, you look at um, the story of Joseph. Gets sold into slavery, gets sold into Egypt, gets, gets thrown into jail. And he's in jail for a long time. And there was a guy that gets sent to jail and he interprets a dream for him. And the guy gets to go back in the, in the presence of Pharaoh. And later on Pharaoh has a dream. And the guy's like, oh yeah, there was this guy in jail a couple years ago that knew how to interpret dreams. Pharaoh's like, well bring him in here. And Joseph goes from being in prison to becoming second in command of Egypt. And just one day he was a prisoner, the next day he was second in command of Egypt. And I want you to understand that that can be our lives too. And I don't mean you're going to be second in command of whatever. I just mean that you're having a bad time, you don't know what's going on, but it only takes one moment for God to change everything. So you keep faith until that happens. Because God's not going to abandon you, He's not going to leave you. Elijah said, Lord, just take my life. God's like, why? The best stuff's coming. There's going to be a new king. Ahab's going to die. And you know what? Ahab died. You know, it, it, you know how he died too? He, he was warned, don't go out to battle. And Ahab's like, I'm going to go out to battle. And he hid himself so you know, they didn't know his king. And the Bible says that just at, just at random, random, some guy just fires an arrow and it goes just like that right into Ahab, kills him. Nothing random about it, right? Jezebel, she gets thrown out of a window and dies. Bad. They did not win. God took care of them in, in his timing. And I just love how it says, 7,000 in Israel that he didn't know about. And so finally here, in verse 19 it says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was the 12th. Look at Elisha. What's Elisha doing? He's plowing. That's what he's doing. He's farming. Talk about, you know, one day's one thing. He's just getting up, I'm going to farm today. And all of a sudden, here comes Elijah. And it says here, Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, go back for what have I done to you? So Elijah comes and casts his cloak over him, which is a sign of, you're going to follow me now. You're, you're going to succeed me. And Elijah's like, okay, I'll do it. But he's like, can I just please say bye to my mom and dad real quick? But you know why he said that? Because he knew this was going to be a commitment. He didn't know when he'd be able to go back there. But already he was ready to do it. And Elijah's like, yeah, please, go say bye. Go say bye. But Elisha wakes up that morning to go farming. 
Next thing you know, he's going to become a prophet of Israel. And then look what happens. Verse 21. And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen to sacrifice them and boiled their flesh with the yoke, yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. You know how committed Elisha was to following Elijah? He was plowing with the oxen. Elijah says, let's go. So Elisha's like, okay. And he kills all the oxen, takes the plow as the kindling to, to, to roast them over and gives it all to the people. He was like, this is never going to be me again. I'm fully committed to this. And I want you to know that in our lives, that should be our commitment to God. Is that no matter where God leaves us, leads us, we're going to follow Him. Because we're committed to Him. And that His path is going to be better. And by the way, it doesn't mean it's going to be easier. Because trust me, Elisha went through some tough times too. Following Jesus is not easy. And it doesn't always mean you're going to have money and health and wealth. Matter of fact, usually it's kind of the opposite a lot of times. But it does mean that you will store up treasure in heaven. It does mean that God will never leave you. And it does mean that you will be with him forever. You're not alone. When Jesus comes back someday, in 1 Thessalonians it says that when he returns, you know who's coming with him? All, all of our, all the saints who have died before. Is that someday there will be a great family reunion in heaven. That when Jesus comes back, they're going to be resurrected. We're going to be caught up. If it came today, we'd be caught up to heaven with him. And we'd be with God forever. So know this. What is God calling you to do right now? Because you don't know when your time is done. You don't know when Jesus is returning. And don't waste your time on stuff that doesn't matter when you can use your time on stuff that's eternal. That's what, that's what I want you to know. You want to have hope in this life? Don't focus on everything that's bringing you down. And, I, and trust me, I mean, like, I just don't do that. What's so hard about that? No, it's hard. But focus always on the things that are eternal, that God is there. God is there for you, and he has a plan for you. Don't give up because you never know what God has in store next. And someday that when you're before Jesus, May he say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Be the good and faithful servant all of your life. I truly believe that you will never, ever regret a life lived for Christ. You will have hard times. You may lose relationships. You may, you may be alone. But you're not going to regret it. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. And there are people right now that are in despair. There are people right now who don't care about this life, who wish they were dead because they don't know God and they don't know anything. And maybe you could be that very person to show them that life today. All of us know Christ because of his grace and his mercy. Not because of how great we are, but because of how great he is. And so let's live our life then in focus of living for him not running away from him, and know that he will take care of you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, we thank you that you are a God who takes care of us, even, even when we're down in the dumps, even when we are in times of despair, even when we don't know what is next. Lord, you give us hope, and that hope is you. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that if there, anyone's going through a time of despair or just confusion or hurt, 
that you will comfort them right now, that they will know that you do care, and that we can cast our cares on you as you told us to do so. And Lord, at the same time, show us what your mission is for us. Show us what your purpose is for us, and give us clarity, and give us patience, and give us hope. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.